Good to be back. Naomi found out that it was a friend's birthday this week and invited the friend and her husband over for dinner. And so I was already pretty tired, but they, they got there for dinner and spent, I guess, about an hour. First of all, they were late, but then they spent about an hour and a half, and I was, I was tired And I have been preparing for this whole people-pleasing lecture series. (laughs) And so I decided to tell them that it was time for them to go. (laughs) About time Naomi gave her her birthday present, she sat down to open it. And I said, don't open that. You can open it at home. (laughs) I said, I'm not asking you to leave so much as I'm inviting you to your own home (laughs) to open your gift. Well, um, we were able to talk through that after they left and sort that out. And I will try to be kinder to our guests in the future. (laughs) You know, sometimes it is time to tell people to leave. Let's continue our discussion. We're going to be talking about people-pleasing, which is a fascinating subject. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We, wanted, we were talking last time I was here about David and Abigail. And I'm going to return to that story. It's a fascinating story because we get a look into David's life. But let's go a generation back. We're going to talk about King Saul right now. Because Saul was a narcissist. If you remember a narcissist, someone who doesn't receive any kind of correction, it comes right back at you. Narcissism and people-pleasing can have similar origins really based on how the personality of the person handles the abandonment or the accusations or the criticism in childhood that can you can form a narcissistic personality or a people-pleasing personality depending on the personality of the child. Essentially, both of these <coughs> characteristics are trying to get control. Whether you're people-pleasing or whether you're a narcissist, you're actually trying to control the situation. But there are different degrees. You can be very narcissistic or ex- only narcissistic, or you can be sort of a mixture, and then you can be just a people pleaser who tries to do everything for people and would never um, uh, act in a narcissistic way. Both are trying to get safety and security, essentially get what you want. And both of them lack the true faith or trust that God will help you get what you want in his timing. So as we're looking at these personality disorders, I want us to be thinking people-pleasing is not wrong. 
The question is going to be your motive, and are you doing it in a manipulative fashion, or are you doing it to control, or are you doing it to try to get some security because you really don't trust God? You've got to go and make sure everyone likes you or everyone's happy with you to feel safe. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 19. This is sort of the episode where Samuel comes to Saul. Saul has, he's been told not to take any spoil from uh, this enemy, but to wipe them all out. He does not. And now Samuel comes to him, and he says this, starting in verse 19, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Noticing, noticing the language here. Even <clears throat> it's just a, a this narcissistic person is not a, accepting correction. He's not accepting any kind of a shame message that there's something you should have done differently. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? I want you to think about this next passage. This is really going to help us separate what is healthy people pleasing, doing kind things to people. Jesus did plenty of kind things to people. And what is the people pleasing that we talk about, this addictive thing that is actually destructive to you and to your relationships. So here it is. Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. Other Bibles say witchcraft. Because re, re, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. There we have people pleasing. We have a narcissist who has done some people-pleasing, very, very common with rulers, very common with politicians, uh, very common with the kings of Israel. Uh, most all of them got into some aspect of people-pleasing, whether it was not taking down the idolatry in certain areas of Israel because people liked to worship there, and whatever it was, it was political. And God sees people pleasing, in this case, as rebellion. And that's very interesting. So part of how we're going to differentiate what is healthy people pleasing and what is unhealthy people pleasing is, does God want you to do that 
right now. You only have so much time and so many resources. Is that where he wants you to be spending your time? With the advent of all of our electronics, I believe it is harder and harder to hear the voice of God. It is harder to understand what he would want. It's much easier when someone asks you to do something, it's just easier to say yes than to say, wait, I'm going to have to pray about that. And then to even try to pray is difficult, especially when it's something that, that you want to do. Something that involves money, sex, or power, typically very dopamine-rich. We like those things. And so when those come at us, those opportunities, very difficult to say, let me try to hear the voice of God on this. Because we typically overrule, uh, it becomes our own voice. Well, let's go and look at David and Abigail now. So um, Saul was rejected as king of Israel. Samuel goes, anoints David as king. Remember his family of origin issues. David was the seventh or eighth child. So David is serving Saul. He's in his camp. He uh, kills Goliath. He's a national hero. Saul becomes jealous of him. And David has to go on the run. Saul, as the king, actually gives David's first wife, who was Saul's daughter, Michael, gives her to another man from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. David's from the tribe of Judah. Now, they're very tribal in this Israeli society. So Saul didn't want someone from Judah he wanted someone from Benjamin so he could trust them. So, and you'll see there's a lot of this going on. So in 1 Samuel 25, we read that last time I was here. I'll, I'll just recap the story. David is out in the wilderness. He's hiding from Saul. And Saul continues to come and try to find him. He's chasing him around. So in order to sort of get some money or some, some food for the season. He has 600 men. He decides to watch Nabal's cattle. Nabal is a man who has, uh, he's a wealthy man. He has 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And so he assigns a good portion of his men to go watch Nabal's livestock. Presumably that at the end of the season, Nabal will be so thankful that they have watched his livestock that he will give them some food, to, some food to eat. Well, come the time of sheep shearing, when everyone should be in a festive mood, Nabal is not giving David any food. Here's a question. Did Nabal ask anyone to watch his sheep? People-pleasing starts often with doing things for people that they didn't ask you to do. You are, but it's sort of unspoken, and this is a bit of manipulation. You're doing it to try to be helpful. Hopefully, they'll notice. And what happens when 
either they don't notice or they don't appreciate or they're not very grateful. It makes us angry. David picks up on this. It makes us even more angry because as people pleasers, typically we have gotten that way because of our fear of rejection or our fear of failure. Essentially, this is a huge rejection. He has just done this work. And the way that Nabal sort of rebuffs him is, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Servants are breaking away from their masters. He's insulting. He's degrading. He essentially insults him and his family. So David decides the right thing to do is to go kill Nabal and all of his male servants on the property. As he's on the way down, Abigail, Nabal's wife, comes to meet him. She brings him food. She brings him cakes of raisins and some sheep. Essentially, the things that he wanted from Nabal, she brings to him. She's a beautiful woman. She's very classy, she's discerning, and she has David's best interests in mind. And she uses this language. She says, the Lord has prevented you from saving with your own hand. There's something about people-pleasing and manipulation that we are trying to save ourselves or get what we want by our own hand. We're not really trusting God to do it. We're trusting our own gifts, maybe our own resources, our own planning. David had this well planned out. I'm going to do this, and I can imagine this is going to be coming in. And when it doesn't come in, he's having such a problem, even controlling his own anger. She says again, the Lord prevented you from working salvation yourself in verse 31. And then David admits, the Lord prevented me from blood guilt and working salvation with my own hand. Abigail then prophesies over him in verses 28 to 31. She says that David is fighting the Lord's battles and no evil will be found in him as long as he lives. No blood guilt or salvation by his own hand. Well, that prophecy didn't actually take. It didn't stick. God kills, essentially, Abigail's husband he has a stroke when she tells him what she's done. And what happens next is very interesting. So David basically sends his servants to go take Abigail as his wife. He hears that her husband has died. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground. 
and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. It says then in the next verse or two, and David also married Ahinoam of Jezreel. I believe that's one of the saddest verses in all of the scriptures. Because I believe that was the beginning of the end for David. But there's so much to learn here. Because I don't know that it was all David's fault. As in any relationship, it takes two to make a big mess. So let's talk about essentially how Abigail was treated. David never really thinks much of her. We don't hear anything else from her. We have more devoted to Abigail as far as her character, her beauty, all of these things. Once she marries, we don't hear anything else about her. We don't hear much about any other women. They don't have any other speaking parts until Bathsheba shows up many years later, which... We're sowing the seeds of that here. I think I'll speak on Bathsheba perhaps next Sunday. So basically, David thinks that he's doing Abigail a favor. And there's probably some cultural things here. But from what I know of the Jewish cultural marriages, in fact, we see this even in, in, the, in the New Testament with the bride and bridegroom. Does the bride go to the bridegroom or does he go to get her? Ah. He goes to get her. He prepares his house and then he goes to get her. There's something about this. David sends his servants to go get her. And, and then it's interesting because I believe that she had a choice. It would have been a very difficult choice, but she could have said, I'd like him to come to get me. How we start our relationships those first courtship days lay the foundation for what is going to happen and what has to be unwound later on. Very difficult to change the way the foundation has been laid. Let's look at how she talks about herself. Because most of us read this as, oh, this, this, what a humble woman. Uh, I don't think it did her well in this case. Uh, to say that I'm just a servant to wash the feet of your servants. It sounds like a bit of flattery, maybe too much humility. I, and she's got five servants with her. There's something that strikes me as not, not sincere. She's, that's a people-pleasing statement, perhaps. Now, I believe she was a discerning woman. But there's another clue... And that clue is the word hurried. She hurried. I'm going to say something very provocative. I'm going to say that hurry 
is sin. Hurry is sin. Moving quickly is not sin. I have to move quickly in surgery. But when you hurry, the basis of hurry is typically what? Fear. You hurry because you're afraid the window's going to close. You're going to miss your shot. You're not going to, I mean, the internet is full of this now. Last chance, only one more day for the sale. Don't miss. F-O-M-O, FOMO, fear of missing out, drives much of what we do. Abigail hurried and mounted her donkey before this is, she's thinking this is her last shot. And God's saying, you are supposed to be the queen of Israel. You have the discernment. You're prophesying over a man's life. He is a man after my own heart. By the way, she's marrying a man after God's own heart. She's marrying a good man. She sees she's got a good man, and she's been treated really poorly. And oftentimes when we've been treated poorly in a relationship, it sticks to us like Velcro, and we start apologizing for it, which sounds like what she's doing. She's apologizing for the fact that she was married to a real jerk. And she doesn't, des- like she doesn't deserve this guy. Not that God is sending her a man and she can wait for him. What do you think would have happened if she said, David needs to come and I'd like to talk to him about his marriage plans? Maybe I'd ask him a question. For instance, are you planning on marrying anyone else this year? (laughs) Would have been a good question. I get the feeling Abigail sort of, you know, he had a a space in his parking lot for her to park her trailer or mobile home and and live back there. It doesn't sound like he honored her. Her children are not even in, in, the, in the running for the, the, the being the next king. They're not even talked about. Totally overlooked. Basically, he's doing her a favor. You, you can park the mobile home out back. It'll be all right. And basically, it sounds like he just slept with her until the, the new wife came. What if she would have said, I want to talk to him? I have a lot of value. When our husbands treat us poorly, or wives treat us poorly, if we allow that, it's not that we just, we allow ourselves to be treated poorly. It actually does damage to them and to the relationship. If you allow someone to speak to you in a disrespectful way, to do disrespectful things, it actually hurts them because they are not going to be the man or the woman that God intended them to be because out of fear, you don't want to get into that because you don't want your stuff pointed out or for whatever reason. And that's the way we people please. We're so afraid 
of having our own stuff, our own dirty laundry out there that we will not say the things or we will allow the things to take place in our husband and our wife that is not healthy for them or for the relationship. That also dishonors God because this marriage relationship is supposed to represent him. It's supposed to represent Christ's love for the church and God's love for his people. And this is supposed to be a beautiful thing. And when we allow things to happen that either aren't discussed or allow ourselves to be treated in a way that either we feel is degrading, it's not healthy for them or for their relationship, or I would say even for your relationship with God or for their relationship with God. You know, we know from, I believe it's in Peter, it says that if, you know, if a man's not treating his wife well, his prayers will be hindered. There are spiritual consequences to one partner not treating the other one well. And I believe Abigail could have said things, could have done things that would have helped David. He needed her. He was relying on his generals and his cousins to run the army and make decisions for him about who to marry and who to fight and all of these things. He needed a wise, godly woman. I would say that we all do. I want to pause and just, uh, let's just do a little meditation exercise. Let's go back to that hurry. Hurry is sin. It's a provocative statement. I want you to wrestle with it for about a minute. And then, I, and then here's, the, here's the exercise. When do you hurry and why? When we are in the season of hurry. When do you hurry and why? And if you can start becoming more mindful, more cognizant, oh yeah, I'm, I am so afraid of what they're going to think of me. I'm afraid of being accused. I'm afraid they won't want to come back. Maybe some family of origin issues will come up, but let's take a minute. I want you to think, when do I hurry? Maybe even this week, did you, were you in a hurry situation? And then talk to God about it. All right, I also, I also talked about how the beginning of a relationship is so important, those courtship days, how you set up your, essentially, the rules of engagement, what you're going to do. I want you to think, and this could be with your spouse, it could be with another relationship. Oftentimes, we get into relationships where we start pretending to be something or someone that we're not, to either land the job or get the part or get the girl or the, whatever it is. I want you to just reflect with the Lord. Does anything come to mind? Is there, is there anything that you need to clear up? Either confess to him, you know, I was, I was pretending and now I'm having trouble. I feel trapped. I can't get out of this. Somehow we get into relationships or jobs or whatever it is, and we think, well, once I get in and once I'm secure, then I can, then I can speak my mind. Then I'll change later on. 
you know, it doesn't work that way. We get trapped. We trap ourselves because then it looks like we're insincere if we start to change. Well, that's not who you were. That's not who I married. Christ died to set us free. Is there some part of you that needs some freedom? You've not had the latitude or the luxury of expressing your true faith, spirituality, worship, personality because of you just wanted to get married. Very, very common. We just read a story of that. Very common in every culture. To, to escape the curse of singleness, we have done things to, maybe it's who you were at the time, and you're not that person anymore, and you recognize, I want that freedom. Let's talk to God now. Let's take a minute and talk to God. Is there a way that he could help you to unwind that? Maybe it, with counseling, maybe going to someone and, and having a third person there to help you keep you safe while you unwind what's happened. How can you become free in your current life? So let's take a minute to, uh, to think about how we've gotten where we've gotten. I want to finish up. Uh, I want to read Psalm, starting with Psalm 1. I'm starting to think of what, what are anti, what is anti-people-pleasing program? What can I do if I feel like I'm a people-pleaser? Well, Psalm 1, I'll just read it to you, the first part of it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields the fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. That law, when it says delight is in the law of the Lord, it can also mean the instruction of the Lord. You're looking for what is God saying about this situation. The presents that you buy, the places that you go, the people you have for dinner, all of the things, are you acting in a way that's consistent with the character of God? And can you hear his voice? Many of us need a Sabbath. We need to take time for ourselves. We cannot even hear our own voice. We only hear the voices of others and the emails and people asking us to do things. Oh, I forgot to get the gift for so-and-so. Oh, we have to go to this party. Oh, are my clothes clean? Everything seems to put this pressure and we don't have enough time for ourselves. Is it possible that you need to schedule the next couple of weeks a time to actually reflect on this season, to spend the time with God that will allow you to, um, to hear his voice and also to say no?
how can I say no? Most of us, it's very, 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 very difficult. It looks like it's time to go. <laughs>